Hello, everyone. Welcome to the AMT Tech Trends podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing technology research and news. I am the director of technology, Benjamin Moses, and I'm here with Stephen Lamarca, technology analyst. Steve, welcome back from IMTS. Thank you. You welcome back. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about that because right after IMTS, I turned everything around and went down to uh, Georgia Tech for a quick trip. God bless you. I love how you do that. Like you get right back into the swing of things <laughs> and you simultaneously at IMTS, you were like, you told me, Steve, next week, work from home. <laughs> <laughs> and then like in the same conversation, I'm like, Hey, I also want to take the week off after that. But, uh, yeah. So like, I'm just getting back in the swing of things <laughs> two weeks later yep. and you went right into another trip. I and went right into another trip. So one of our members is working with uh, a couple of, um, universities mm -hmm. to start up a, um, an industry university corporate cooperative research, uh, center. Uh, so these are areas where they, uh, work together with industry and university to develop uh, new technologies. And a lot of it comes from NSF funding. So NSF has a full channel to set up these uh, IUCRCs. Um, and the topic that they're working on is um, Center for Digital Factory Innovation. Mm. Um, so if you look at the list on NSF, this is probably one of the gaps in the manufacturing sector. So it was really cool to go down to Georgia Tech and work with them on the, on the first workshop that they have to walk through the process. Love visiting them. So it was fun. I flew back uh, Sunday and then I think I flew out Tuesday. So Quick turn on for all my suits at the dry cleaning. That's incredible. <laughs> uh, I made sure I went to Zips, dropped is, off like eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> is everything okay? Any puckering? No, no puckering. Oh, since I was at Georgia Tech, it's in Atlanta, yeah. which is uh, a thousand degrees warmer than it was in mm -hmm. Chicago. So I love the suits that I wore down there. Again, I was sweating a lot. Yeah. So I didn't dry clean those suits right away. So I'm going to wait a little bit. I want a little Febreze That's to smart. spray on the suit, yeah. so we'll see. Uh, so my wife was making fun of me about not dry cleaning those right away, but I was like, ah, these suits need to last me. Right. So I'd rather. It, so that's like the thing. A lot of people don't realize that like suits are fragile. Like, yeah. like the only way you can clean them is dry cleaning. But right. if you dry clean them too much, eventually you get that puckering that you see around the shoulders. The puckering. It, it's most popular. Well, it's most common around the shoulders yep. when, when you dry clean them too much. Um, and, but, you, and you get a little bubbling also. Yeah. The bubbling You can't cool. get bubbling. That's in a fused canvas suit. Yeah, but yeah. that is for, this conversation is for a different podcast. <laughs> One called, titled uh, Smoking Tweed Sons of Britches. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, it's my fashion podcast. I know you had you had a positive time during IMTS. We had a great time. But yes. you came down on a little bit of a lull afterwards. Yeah. So it's always, because like you end up getting physically fatigued. Right. Before you get mentally fatigued. Sure. And I think that's common across everybody. Um, and, and and it's it's disappointing and depressing even because, you know, it's happens as early as Thursday. Fortunately, it didn't happen until Thursday with me. Yeah. It in the past it's happened as early as like Wednesday morning. Um, but like Thursday afternoon, um, when my schedule was cleared. Finally, like when I had done everything that I needed to do on Thursday, I wanted to go walk around the the whole the rest of the show, the right. part of the shows that I hadn't seen. I wanted to go visit with all of the other the fellow um, influencers that I feel terrible because I didn't get a chance to like really meet any of them. Sure. Um, I, I, there, there was a few that I met and I, I finally got to meet Alex Kingsbury and cool. work with her in person. That was great. Yep. Um, but again, that was work. We had to. Um, I wanted to get a chance to meet Megan mm -hmm. and, and Drew Crow, um, you know, some, some personal heroes of mine. Sure. Um, but that was disappointing. 
uh, just in, in a lot of like the, the, the end of IMTS, the IMTS aftermath depression comes from being physically fatigued before you're mentally fatigued and right. it is mentally draining sure. going to that. But, but because it's just such a big show, mm-hmm. you get really worn out. But I was talking about, you know, this end of show depression that comes on. Cause like my 2016 was my first show. Right. And I was like, man, I really wish it was two weeks and not just one week. And, and a lot of people told me why that, it's a good thing that's not two weeks. Right. Um, because a lot of exhibitors, as much as they love AIMTS and as much as good a business it does for them, it's just it's draining right. on right. all of their it, draining on financials. Mm-hmm. Like, sure, you make big uh close big deals right. while there, but it costs a lot of money mm-hmm. to be there. Um, anyway, that was that was, you know, just crossed out real quick. But yep. but like Every IMTS, I've always gotten some sort of like FOMO that I didn't see the whole show. Oh, sure. Fear of missing out. Right. And I genuinely, uh, this was, this show, I feel like I saw the most, even yeah. though I didn't get to meet as many people as I wanted. Still got to met, meet a ton. This was my most successful show yet nice. and the most successful show yet, like, which was really awesome. But I was talking with Mo mm-hmm. over in Marcom and she was like, because like, you know, Marcom especially, mm-hmm. you know, they are all hands on deck nine months before the show. Right. And like pulling their hair out and getting gray hairs, um, you know, as, as early as like a year out. Sure. Like pre- prepping for IMTS. And when it finally comes to fruition and the show closes and it's over, you'd think you'd get like this sense of relief. And I get a sense of relief. I know you get a sense of relief. Right. But like. It's it's she the way she described it and I never realized it, but we totally experience this is like a postpartum depression. Oh, there's sure. definitely a postpartum depression to the end of IMTS. OK. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one that feels <laughs> that way because like, you know, you do get like, did I see everything? Yeah. I know this year, this time I saw everything that I needed to see. Right. I didn't see everything, but I I'm sure there's some great things that I did miss. But I got my fill. Um, I wish I had talked to more people. Sure. That I felt terrible about. But that was just physical fatigue. I right. never got to, like, you know, shake the hands of Andrew Crow. Yeah. Um, I never got to have, you know, uh, um, a meaningful, long conversation that, you know, got in the way of other meetings uh, with Megan. Sure. Um, and, 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 you know, I just got to say hi to like, you know, Pete Zielinski, sure. um, um, Julia Heider and Stephanie Hendrickson in passing. Um, but we didn't get a, ch- a chance to stop and actually say, you know, what was the most exciting thing you saw there? But but that's what these are for. <laughs> One fun thing was uh, we were on main sta- on the main stage from Tuesday to Saturday. So that was really fun. That was a lot of fun. And it was a new experience being in front a great of everyone, experience. bright lights. Yeah. <laughs> sweating like nobody's business. <laughs> being on a huge platform with yeah. nobody to filter you. <laughs> that is, that is a power that move. Oh, that's a good feeling. That first day was, uh, over intoxicating. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. I'm surprised I haven't gotten like a, uh, reprimand for that yet, but you uh, know what? People are on vacation. Just wait. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I keep talking about it, they're going to go they, back they, and look. Go back so and... I better stop. Well, my goal is uh, there's a bunch of holidays and vacations are coming up. So my goal is to kind of repackage our IMTS time or, uh, on stage uh, uh, recordings and probably package that into like something for the holiday. So mm, keep, keep an eye out for uh, like the uh, end of year holidays, whatever uh, holidays you have. Uh, they'll probably package up during then. So sweet. It's going to be fun. Um, Steve, you want to tell us about our sponsor? Our sponsor today is IMTS Plus, the people behind technology, the stories driving the future of manufacturing, the thought leaders and people like us creating the products, the opportunities, and solving the challenges of our industry. Explore a new digital destination designed for manufacturing technology community where you can watch, read, learn, join, and connect. Go to IMTS.com to cure your postpartum IMTS depression. <laughs> Good segue, Steve. I appreciate that. You bet. Uh, so since we're talking about IMTS, I thought it'd be useful just to recap what our highlights were on the technology side. But I was using the framework of an uh, article from IMTS Plus where it talks about uh, eight key takeaways from 2022. Yes. Um, so the first one is we saw automation everywhere. Yes. I think that's solid. It is a, an absolute takeaway. Automation was everywhere. To be fair, that's nothing new. Because IMTS 2018, four years ago, automation was also everywhere. True. However, 2018, automation was at the beginning of its surplus. Mm -hmm. You know, I predicted in 2018 that um, the cost of automation would go down. Right. And it certainly did. I was right about that. Yes. I called that. I'm so proud of it. But what I never expected was... And I want I want to discuss this with you. Yeah. Do you think that cobots are becoming obsolete? Because in 2018, cobots were all the rage. Right. Fast forward to 2022. We just came from IMTS. There were still a lot of cobots there, and more companies providing cobots than ever. Right. Before, however, we saw some really disruptive technology in automation. We did. Which I was wrong about, by the way, because I back in 2018, I did say that robots are going to become more plentiful. There's going to be a surplus. They're going to go down in price. But really, the technical innovations aren't going to keep up. Right. Man, was I wrong. <laughs> and thankfully, because we saw a lot of, you know, unsafeguarded industrial robots. Right. And that's brings up my concern to like our cobots obsolete already. Sure. Cause you know, one of the companies that we saw that we can't stop blabbing about with one of the greatest booth designs ever VO robotics, you know, totally empty booth, right. You know, just nice plush carpet and people to talk to. And the only things in their booth was this big screen on the backdrop, a mm -hmm. big, like, you know, 60 inch, 65, 70 inch television screen. Um, and in front of that screen was an industrial robot swinging around at full industrial speeds, right. like well exceeding 15 newtons of force and no safeguarding in sight in sight. Right. The safeguarding was hidden up top in like the gantry, the uh, like, like the catwalks of the 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 booth right and it was what i assume lidar and it mapped you could see on the screen 
everywhere there was a soft target in mm-hmm. range and every time a soft target got within range of the industrial robot it came to a screeching halt right not literally a screeching halt but it came <laughs> to a stop. complete stop <laughs> and it was incredible we had i had never seen anything like that before i right. we've known this is like possible mm-hmm. but we didn't know you could you could cross these bounds right so going back to my original question seeing this done with an industrial robot right do you think Cobots are obsolete. So and this is a huge discussion, by the way, on LinkedIn. Oh, interesting. There's a lot of people out sure. there that like talk ill of cobots. Right. So what do you think, Ben? So there's a couple of layers to that, right? So the shift from active safeguarding, where you have fences and uh restraints to keep the people away from it to passive. Uh, that one booth we saw uh, showed a very cool demonstrator of that. Yeah. And one other thing, so it also detected humans, but also uh I uh I talked to the um the people in the booth a little bit and what they're also looking at is uh, the future point cloud of the robot itself so at a specific pose what are all the potential future op, uh <gasps> position poses of that and it put it put it puts a future cloud uh, on the robot that's what like that that yellow cone was. Yeah, exactly. it wasn't a cone it was like a hemisphere a hemisphere right okay so as you approach it from say the backside, you can approach it closer because the future cloud is further away from you but wow. if that future cloud gets close to you, then it uh, turns off or it uh, pauses the robot. So, and that's a key element, right? It pauses it. So it's actually interrupting the path uh, programming. Yeah. It says pause. And then once you're clear of that, and it allows you to resume. So that's the current implementation of it. There's another booth where uh, they're using, uh, I think they're using um, probably sonar or some other type of passive technology mm-hmm. to uh, slow, then stop the robot. So yeah. as you're getting closer to the robot, uh, then it, uh, turns it off. Which saw that a lot at Yeskawa. Yeah. You saw a lot of implementations of that, not just at the FANUC booth, but at other booths right. with FANUC bots. And we've seen that in the past in just automation in general, where you use a series of light curtains. So as you get closer right. to either conveyors or other pieces of automation equipment, it'll start slowing down the equipment. And the logic is fairly solid, right? As you get, as you cross certain light curtains, it slows it down to you hit the last one, then it turns it off. So the question of are cobots being obs, uh, becoming obsolete, I would say it, in automation, it's very use case dependent. So right. the nice thing about cobots is the ability to teach on the fly. So you can still operate a cobot in a very, very safe manner, right? manually moving around. So you can teach it by pushing it to the pose and then using the teach pendant to say pose one, linear, rotational, whatever. And then you can build your series of um, the program that way. So if you're doing like a... Um, high mix, low volume uh, scenario. So you're constantly changing part numbers, changing orientation. And I think that's a, that's a great scenario uh, for more towards cobots. Right. 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 Um, if you're in the scenario where you need access to stuff around the robot. So maybe in a scenario like palletizing, right? right. That could be a scenario where you're constantly moving stuff out, where it makes sense to uh, have uh, passive scenarios, but also the speed of the industrial robots versus the cobot. And that's where yeah. I think the advantage is, right? The speed of industrial robots is higher, but I don't, I'm not constantly interacting with the robot. Right. So I think that's a scenario where you'll probably see more segregation of, am I interacting with the robot? Or there's also a, um, a collaborative assist scenario. So one of the booths showed, um, and it, they had a collaborative robot where they're um, working on a bicycle. And it would change the orientation of the bicycle so it was ergonomically correct to the operator. Mm. So if you imagine working on transmission or a larger factory where it's supporting the object so you're not bending over or, you know, if you're getting an ergonomic position, 
to bring in a tool over. That's another scenario where a cobot is probably going to be safer than an right. industrial robot. Right. I would love to see an auto mechanic like right. like doing not an engine swap, but like an engine out mm-hmm. operation on right. a car. And the cool. cobot is lifting the engine mm-hmm. for the mechanic. But at the same time, a cobot by law and standard can exceed 15 (laughs) newtons right that engine pull like pulling that engine would be so slow right because that's a heavy lunk of metal yeah moving to not exceed 15 newtons of force that's moving slow right or the other scenario is if you're working on on the top of the car right so you have to take off say like the valve cover yeah. Or something heavy, right? The yeah. valve cover is not super heavy, but it's kind of awkward, right? Having that assist pull off that stuff where you, you're reaching over and instead mm. of pulling the three pounds yep. of object, you have the robot supporting you. It'd be co- so cool to see a mechanic working with a robot like That'd that. That'd be cool. So I think the collaborative assist is, yeah. pro- is you're probably going to see more of that. And I guess future. the answer to the question is the no. same as every other answer, <laughs> which is it depends on the application. It's <laughs> like, you know, you wouldn't, if, if, you would want to use, yes, a, a collaborative robot would be obsolete and right. unnecessary in a nearly total lights out right. lean manufacturing application where there's barely any humans in sight. You don't even need the lights on. Yeah, don't use a cobot. Right. But if there's a ton of humans around and you need the assistance of a a strong like robot right. arm, you want cobot. Yeah. So the next bullet we have is everything is connected. Yes. Which I thought is, and back to your point earlier about automation, it's continuing the uh, connectivity, right? We saw that in right. the last show, but now we're seeing a significant more uh, interconnection mm-hmm. of all the um, connected applications, but also a drive towards standards, right? right. So it was a matter of, uh, is it, do they have, MP, are they using MP Connect to connect uh, yeah. to drive data? And most of the time was yes, right? Right. So. And the standards really make everything easy, right. which is good for the handful of facilities that I've visited just this year alone yep. that have that are incredibly advanced technology or advanced facilities yep. like with with high end machine tools. Um, and they're the big thing that they're pushing for, the, the next piece of technology they're looking to acquire is a network to connect it all. That's cool. And yeah. fortunately, those standards are already in place and right. in use at other facilities. So they've been tested. Nice. And they're in a good opportunity. Now they just need a good developer to put it all together, for, to put it all together for them. And yeah. hopefully they have a good IT department. Definitely. Um, the other, the next bullet, I'm probably going to jump around a little bit because uh, okay. uh, the next one is uh, ease of use is a growing priority. Yes. Ease of use. I know I keep harping on it, but I saw that the most. Well, with how far automation has come, um, you know, machine tools have gotten a little bit better. I'll come back to them. But automation, like like a lot of our colleagues, you know, who are new to the manufacturing industry came to me and be like, hey, when are you free? Because I want you to take me around the show and show me what's cool. And and Mo and I actually went to the student summit together. Cool. I made it to like Friday right. without having seen the student summit, maybe even Saturday. Don't tell Greg um, without having seen the student summit. And I finally got to go down there. Um, Kristen, her husband, Mo and I, and I think Chris Downs too, yep. um, uh, went to the student summit together. I hadn't yet seen it. Mo hadn't yet seen it yet. We went to the FANUC booth. Because, of course, they had multiple booths. We sure. went to the FANUC booth down in the Student Summit. Okay. Straight up taught Mo, like, within, you know, 15 minutes how to operate 
a a cobot arm, nice. an advanced, you know, top right. dollar collaborative robot arm. Yeah. And it really is that easy. You know, not to say that, you know, Mo's dumb because she's she is not. <laughs> but like, you know, but it's the student summit. They're also getting like, you know, middle schoolers, maybe right. even elementary schoolers learned on programming <laughs> a fanic cobot. So yeah, have they gotten easier? Absolutely. But to harp back on, you know, traditional CNC machine tools, you know, who else was down there? Doosan, well, their new name, DN, which means Doosan now. Right. And what's the other word? I think that's it. If you saw a brand at at IMTS that had like this Panther logo and you're like, how did this new company get this huge booth spot at IMTS where there's like all the big booths are taken by like, you know, manufacturing industry veteran companies. This new company is actually Doosan, but they changed their name to DN Solutions. Yes. DN I think Solution. that's it. That's what it was. DN Solutions was also in the student summit. Yep showing how easy it was to run their machine. Their machines aren't as easy to run as like, you know, collaborative robots, but really easy to run for five axis CNC Uh machines. Um, But um, going back to one of my favorite brands, Penta machine, formerly (laughs) known as pocket NC, which we have here have come so far, right? Like to cough, cough, looking like they had like windows, 95, 98 Mitsubishi (laughs) controller. Right. Um, which don't get me wrong, it works. Right. And, you know, it's standardized. Like in the industry, you should know how that works, just like you should know how to operate a bridge port. Yep. Um, you know, it's that that old school minesweeper looking controller. <laughs> um, but now, like machine tool controllers are so easy to use, and you don't need somebody there to teach you. Mm. I set up the new Pocket NC. You know, it helps that we had this is our second one. So I've operated one before, but the the UI, the HMI is totally new on the new one. Yep. And I barely I only looked at like the the getting started guide sure. to physically set up the machine right. to make sure everything was plugged in properly. And I used it only to get to the web browser and to um uh, refer to what the correct IP address to the machine was so I could connect to it. Once I was connected and I got the notification on which a web-based controller that it was connected to the machine, um, it was totally self-explanatory. Right. And I knew exactly what to do from there. And it was really easy to operate the machine. Um, and it shows. And it's, it's really cool that a bunch of companies – um, are investing in this easy to use um, uh, layout, this right. UI, this user interface for um, future operators. They're they're actively trying to close the skills gap. Yep. Like it's not just a student summit thing anymore. The industry is actually trying to do this, which is such a beautiful thing to see. Mm-hmm. Like this, they're they're actively making things easier. It's easier to get into the manufacturing industry now as like an individual worker. Yeah. Um, I mean, Penta, I, I know I keep hyping them up, but I love that their their UI designer mm-hmm. came from Pixar. That's cool. He worked on the fireworks scene in the movie Madagascar. <laughs> like he knows how to make things look pretty. Right. And pretty to the point that anybody could figure out how to use a five axis CNC machine. That's impressive. It's so cool. That's cool. And that, I think that's the big takeaway across the board is that, you know, the the scenario we were programming the cobot. um, 
Yeah, and also, um, you know, the shift with uh, uh, Pocket NC to Penta and their interface. You know, the machine, human to machine, the HMIs interfaces have come yeah, a long way. They've come so far. Um, it's a lot more intuitive. So, you know, not only are uh, machine tools or uh, subtractive equipment using like G code to get the actual path of the stuff, yeah. but the interface on top of that, that's what's probably changing the most, right? Yeah. So instead of flooding the user to go to G code right away, providing a layer that pr- allows for that, you know, right. kind of middle ground interpretation helps a lot. And I want to give a little bit of that credit to uh, the additive industry. Sure. Because you look at a lot of these additive machines and sure, nobody's like manually additive doing additive or else that would be just welding. Right. Um, but um, you look at a lot of industrial 3D printers. Yep. They're all touchscreens. There's sure. not a button in sight. The ones that know what they're doing and actually want to be industrial have an e-stop button. Right. But everything else is on a touchscreen. That, that actually disappointed as much as I love form labs. Right. I did some, I think it was Jake Nectarlane. He did show me your uh, point out. I think he pointed out to me that yeah, form labs doesn't have an e-stop on their machine. Oh, that's interesting. But you know what? You're not going to be in there anyway. <laughs> like if, if, if you have the door open to the point where you can get hurt, right. It's, you know, not gonna run. it's not going to be moving. Yeah. And it's all lights and lasers anyway. Is that what the definition of uh, industrial equipment? An e-stop. It got to have an e-stop. <laughs> a big, like serious, yeah. scary looking red button with a yellow trim around it. We have uh, uh, the sit standing desks and uh, the ones we have are motorized. Mm-hmm. I think I'll make mine industrial by putting an emergency stop on it. <laughs> <laughs> it should have a foot pedal. A foot, oh. uh, a foot pedal e-stop. <laughs> or the uh, two-handed uh, operation. So you have to push both controllers. Oh, have so launch both. keys. Okay. Steve, I think the last one we want to talk about is uh, uh, Fabrisonic. You got an article from... Okay. Um, um, Fabrisonic came out with a press release um, recently, but nobody's written an article on it yet. But I wanted to talk about Fabrisonic because um, what's really cool about them, they're an additive company. Yep. Um, well, excuse me. They're a hybrid additive company. Okay. So hi- additive and subtractive technology. But... They are different because they use ultrasonic sound waves to fuse layers, sheets of metal together. Yep. One thing that's tough to do and not commonly done in additive is printing pure copper. Sure. Fabrisonics is one of the companies that can do it. That's cool. They they take cop, pure copper sheets. Right. They can ultrasonic fuse them together. Yep. I don't want to say weld, but you know it's just, it, it's. It, they, they fuse the sheets together and if you want any, you know, design, you need you need any intricate, you know, uh, pathways, what, what have you, you know, that can be um, subtractively removed mm-hmm. layer by layer as the layers are added. Right. Um, but what's really cool is I remember one of the the one of the very impressive companies that I saw at my first IMTS in 2016 was acoustics right um a spindle company and i got it's tough to find them on the web now but there were spindle company that vibrated if i remember correctly they vibrated at an ultrasonic frequency the spindle head to evaporate uh and uh, any coolant or debris oh sure uh, as it's cutting right to uh, extend tool life cutting tool life um, well, the patent holder behind that ultrasonic frequency technology mm-hmm. 
for acoustics back in the day is the same guy that holds the patent for the guys at uh, the guys and girls at um, Fabrisonic. Nice. And it was just, it was really cool to see that how right. my most recent, you know, it's easy to go back to 2018, see what's happened then. But like being able to link all of my IMTSs, my so many <laughs> IMTSs back to each other. Right. And that was just fun. That's cool. And it, I do like the, uh, the ability. So <gasps> yes, I know where you're going. Their ability to, to print PCBs, right? Like actually use additive manufacturing in its entirety. Yep. To make a PCD, not like, you know, print a few layers, <laughs> then stop. Somebody comes in and installs like the right. wiring loom or yep. harness or whatever. It, no, it does it in one shot. Yep. It can do it in one shot. And because of it's a hybrid technology, you can make a PCB, which just sounds a little weird, but you can print a PCB entirely out of metal. Right. Like you right. can have your insulatory layers um, in there, but. It is what is essentially a metal, you know, uh, PCB board, right? Computer board. Yep. And it, it, that was just wild to me. Yeah, that is. So and they make really pretty parts. Like they're they're subtractive. Not gonna lie, they're subtractive technology. Yeah. Really good surface finish. Oh, I like like that. Swiss watch quality. <laughs> very, that's very what caught your eye with it. <laughs> and that's that's a big takeaway for me is that you know getting the mixed materials. Uh, I did find an article they were running low on time is about is uh, you know. Uh, pinned to circuit boards but the idea of modifying the circuit board so not everything's 90 degrees which is kind of the current fabrication method to allowing you know the uh, board go like 45 degrees as you grow it so yeah i do like the concept of mixed materials and and if you look at a lot of assemblies there's always a mixed material scenario right it's never it's rarely one material mm. that's a big advantage of uh additive also is you know putting the right material where you need it so right uh, if you have an abrasive section or a section that's uh, constantly in contact, make that harder than the rest of this, everything else, right? So yeah. um, that's that's a fascinating use case, and I like where they're headed with that. And um, wish them luck. That's gonna be that's gonna be cool in the future. Dude, they're gonna be awesome. Where can people find more in- info about us, Steve? AMTonline.org/resources. Like, share, and subscribe. See you next time. Bye, everyone. <laughs>